Our culture here is very real and very raw and very honest. So honest, if you can't handle truth, you can't handle the truth, then you don't belong here. But that did have to change because we do have some, we have about 60 employees in Colombia. And so the cultural difference in communication was, I thought I was a great communicator and leader until I had to lead and communicate to people not like me. <laughs> Surprise. So that was rather difficult in learning how to approach them. And they say, good morning. They like, when they text you, it's good morning, Amanda. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Welcome back to Think Business with Tyler, where trailblazers and thought leaders share nuggets of wisdom to fuel your entrepreneurial journey. Today, we're unpacking the robust world of online business with Amanda Katarzy Hengst, CMO of Automation Empire. Brace yourself for a tale of overcoming adversity, mastering the Amazon marketplace, and the art of staying genuine in an impersonal digital age. Amanda's candid insights on building emotional connections and leveraging power in numbers might just revolutionize your approach to business. Get ready. This episode is a masterclass in resilience and strategy wrapped in an inspirational story of transformation you are going to enjoy. Hey, Amanda, welcome to the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to have you. I'm excited for this conversation. You know, before we get into some of the questions that I have for you, I'd love to know a little bit about you, what you do professionally. And then maybe if you could share a little tidbit about you personally, that would be awesome too. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I am currently the CMO of Automation Empire. So I handle all of our PR, all of our marketing, a lot of our business strategy as well. I'm also involved in operations and then as well as operations with our sister company, Wholesale Automation, which is a licensed wholesaler and distributor. And then personal tidbit, probably I wear all of my emotions on my face. I, I have to get a lot of Botox to try to not offend people particularly for that reason. So <laughs> so would it be safe to say your style in terms of leadership is your kind of what you see is what you get? Is that a fair? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. How does that low in? So some people respond really well to that. And then some people are like, I can't really hang with that. I don't want to hear the reality of it. Do you find that happens sometimes? How do you deal with that? Just curious. Our culture here is very real and very raw and very honest. So honestly, if you can't handle truth, you can't handle the truth, then you don't belong here. But that did have to change because we do have some, we have about 60 employees in Colombia. And so the cultural difference in communication was, I thought I was a great communicator and leader until I had to lead and communicate to people not like me. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. So that was rather difficult in learning how to approach them. And they, they say, good morning. They like, when they text you, it's good morning, Amanda, how are you? And I'm like, what do you want? And they spit it out. <laughs> but learning to communicate and meet them halfway, that's been an interesting adjustment to my leadership style for sure. Yeah. So CMO for the folks in the in the audience, tell us what what's a day in the life of a CMO? What do they do? What's your, you know, highest priorities typically without divulging anything confidential, of course? 
Yeah. I kind of laugh because we're just so unconventional in the way we are here. So I'm like, well, I'm sure there is a set list of normal things for a chief marketing officer to do, but there's probably not mine. Um, That being said, main priorities are making sure that the company is facing forward and that people are viewing us how we are wanting to be viewed, right? So there's a difference between your brand and then there's a difference between marketing and the brand is what people believe you to be the brand is how people explain who you are when you're not in the room and then marketing is supposed to reinforce those so it's my goal to make sure that's all very open honest straightforward kind of like how i am it's what you see is what you get is how we operate as a company and how our marketing is doing that so you know making sure all the social media is on board making sure we've got ads scheduled out making sure we've storyboarded all that scripts are written you know we have all the equipment we need that it's all scheduled out a lot of scheduling a lot of management i i miss the creating part Yeah. For a small business. So let's say somewhere between one to $20 million in annual revenue. At what point should branding become equally as important as marketing? Is it from day one or is there some mix where it changes? What are your thoughts around that? 100% day one. Okay. People are going to, it's a first impression. You are the business. And when you're starting out initially as an entrepreneur, you are the business and that trust needs to be built immediately. And then as you grow as a company, you grow into something much bigger, an empire, you are having to make sure that the human element is still there because you can get so corporate that it feels untouchable or it's like a doctor's office. And nobody wants to do business where they don't have an emotional connection. All sales is energy. Money is energy. We are emotional creatures. So we have to be able to inspire positive emotions, especially for high high ticket sales. If we want to keep reoccurring clients and people to feel good about doing business with us. What do you think? Like, do you ever, you know, you're searching around the web or you're looking at companies and you go, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing that. Or, oh my God, why are they presenting themselves that way? Do you have like a top three things that you see people, companies often do that aren't in their best interest? Yeah. If they're disingenuous, if they take themselves way too seriously, again, it's that stoicism that is just not, people say all the time, oh, it's not personal. It's business. Business and entrepreneurship, dealing with money, sales is the most personal things you could ever do. The most emotional things you ever do. And companies, large companies forget that all the time. So the companies that are selling, again, are creating that human connection. And I think if people are taking themselves too seriously, if they're not touchable or they're disingenuous or it feels fake, everybody has that that meter in them. We know when we go to a car sales lot, when the used car salesman's trying to sell us and it feels icky. We all know how that feels. People know that with brands as well. So that trust element and that human element, and when I don't see that displayed, it's like, oh, you are totally missing out on millions of dollars. Oh, that's huge. So like I always do, I kind of jump ahead and then I've got to backpedal a little bit. I want to learn a little bit about you too, because you have a, a fascinating story and you've dealt with a lot of hardships and challenges that most people have had never had to deal with. And it's an amazing, I mean, I think it's amazing where you are today to some challenges that you faced early on. So the, the first one that I know a little bit about you is you were actually raised in a cult. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Super fun time. 
<laughs> I mean, when when you say cold, like, could you kind of paint me a picture? What was that like? What was life like being raised in the cold? Sure. And it's, I'm grateful for every negative experience to me because it's given me an incredible skill set. So that's how I make it worth something. You know, you always find the good in it. So um, my parents are incredible human beings. They're Italian gypsies that met in the circus. So we're a circus family. That's how we got to America. And they wanted a completely different lifestyle for their kids. So they found God and they wanted a lifestyle that wasn't that gypsy rock and roll lifestyle. And at that time, homeschooling was not cool. There was no curriculum. I'm 34 years old. So back when they're having us, there was really no curriculum and no guidelines for it. This organization offered a study plan. They offered the curriculum for homeschooling. So my parents were like, cool, this is how we're supposed to raise godly children. And they're giving us a curriculum. So it was a great win for them. It was an absolute layup. What it did was teach me to not have emotion. And it was a very subservient kind of thing. So if you know what Amish or Mennonite people are, it's very similar to that, but to a very big extreme. So it's like that meets, well, not Mormonism. What's the one with the where they have multiple wives? This one. I think it is. Okay. Well, yeah, it's like that meets that because the culture for the women is really subservient. I was raised to be a baby maker. I was raised to education wasn't huge for me as far as like, I need to learn fractions so I can cook essentially. But what it gave me the opportunity to do is I started writing at a very young age. I started journaling because I, it wasn't appropriate for me to express emotion forward facing. I had to figure out how to channel my emotions into words. And so it gave me the gift of being able to practice being a writer from a very early age. So it's interesting because it sounds like it was uh, an environment where you were being taught to be very subservient. Mm-hmm. And yet I, knowing you very few minutes right now, like that's the exact opposite of how I, I envision your, you as a person now. Is that a conscious choice or how do you like break out of that mold? Yeah, it didn't really work out for me. (laughs) It was a rough time, let's be honest. I'm an Italian, you know, very outgoing female. So, but it took me a long time to come back to who I truly was. I was very good at acting and playing a role. After we kind of worked our way out of the cult and a lot of it was my fault, you know, to kind of get us kicked out. And actually there's a Netflix documentary about it. It's called Shiny Happy People. Um, if anybody wants to learn more about ATI, but I had to learn to re-engage with my emotions. And now again, it really serves me because I feel like I'm a lot more in tune with my emotions because I didn't have them for so long. And I'm a lot more aware of how I position and present myself because I wasn't allowed to for so long. I have this funny vision in my head or picture in my head, like the leader of the cult comes up to you and goes, Amanda, unfortunately, you have too many opinions. We're going to have to let you out of this cult. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was more like you're shaming us and we've tried to break you and there's no breaking you. So get out. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's an interesting ending. It's good. It's probably good it played out. They, They did you a favor. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. I'm not mad. Now, now you've had another challenge, which, you know, it's interesting, and I appreciate you being so open to sharing this stuff. You know, we hear about the word sex trafficking so much. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, I don't think I've ever crossed paths with anyone, at least knowingly, that uh, unfortunately has been a, a victim of that. And re- learning about you, you have 
dealt, you've been a victim of sex trafficking. Could you kind of take me through that story? How does that happen? Is there any takeaways in terms of what people could do to avoid that happening is, I guess, is where my questions would be at. Yeah, I love discussing this because not in order, a lot of people will talk about trauma to share war stories and to stay in the trauma. So I do want to note before we even get into this, that if you have gone through something like this, make sure you get healed before you start talking about it because you will re-traumatize yourself and self-violate if you do not do that. I've had a great therapist. I'm good to go. We're, we're cool to talk about it. So being raised with the mentality of being subservient and never basically saying no to a man in a leadership, he's the head of the household authority kind of situation. So I had that kind of programming running in the background of my subconscious system. So when I'm an adult now, I'm like 20 years old, I move away to California. I start building my own little life. I'm lonely as hell. And I have these programs running underneath. So then I start doing MMA. I start training MMA, which was a blast for me, kind of just as a hobby. I turned out really good at it because I had a lot of deep down rage burning inside me. (laughs) And these people were amazing. I love them. However, a lot of them were highly toxic. And this is where my trafficker was. So he was my boxing coach. And I thought, you know, he was my boyfriend. So this is my first adult relationship. Again, that programming is running underneath. So it wasn't like, hey, you're going to be a prostitute now. Yay. It wasn't that. It was a very, a very planned out breaking down of my mental psyche. And so it would be like a, a suggestion of, hey, my friend thinks you're really hot. And that turns me on. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. Like, why are you telling me that? Whatever. And he's like, you should go flirt with this person. I'm cool with it because you're coming home with me. Uh, No, 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 thanks. (laughs) And so those suggestions, and then um, he would basically just arrange rape situations, you know, would be in an unsafe location with a lot of really big dudes and they would all be drunk and blacked out. And it's just, I mean, I was a hundred and... 15 pounds soaking wet back then. So there was just nothing to be done. And then, you know, oh, I was blackout drunk. You know, I'm so sorry that happened. But, you know, they didn't mean anything by it. And then, you know, those things would just escalate. And then you start to resist and they beat the crap out of you or they beat the crap out of somebody else. And so then you just kind of go into a survival mode to where you're doing what you can to not get hurt so bad. Right. So um, I think people get confused why women don't leave those situations all the time, or not even just women, you know, men and children are involved, obviously. But there's such a brainwashing and there's such a you you violate so much and you let so much go in order to try to survive that you feel like if you can't turn the situation around, it will be all for nothing. So you stay in it and I'm like, you know what? We're gonna get better. I'm gonna make him better. We're gonna be better together. I have to save this situation or otherwise I'm failing, you know, and I'm accepting the fact that I've failed in such a major way. So there are a lot of elements involved in my particular situation that made me stay, but usually uh, drugs are involved where women become addicted to drugs or there's, you know, some sort of coercion happening that people aren't aware of. In my case, thank God, drugs were never involved because I was also an athlete and he was also labor trafficking me at the same time. So I was also fighting almost every single weekend and he was making money off that too. 
So I couldn't have any drugs, which is great and terrible at the same time because I never became addicted to anything, but I was also fully present for everything. So I think some of the, some of the big things is you probably actually have met a lot of people who have been trafficked and you don't even know it. It's so insanely common. It's the second biggest, most illegal enterprise in America. Do you know, like, so in your case, you knew the person that trafficked you. Mm -hmm. Is that the most likely scenario? Because the ones I always hear about are where, you know, I'll watch, see these on TikTok. There'll be like some guy that drives up really close to the person's car in a shopping lot and to the point where they can't get out. And then he pretends like he's going to help them. And next thing he knows, he's abducting them. Uh, So that's the one I kind of am most common. What what, do you know which which plays out most likely? Is it usually someone you know? Yes. So we call those the taken scenarios. Like it's about 1%. And I was, after I got away from my trafficker, I worked in social work and busted underground trafficking rings and got people out of these situations for about eight years. And about one to 2% were those taken scenarios. Usually it's someone, somebody knows it's a boyfriend at school. There's a lot of peer on peer trafficking that happens. And so when you think of trafficking, you automatically go to that taken scenario where someone's like locked to a bed, but that's rarely the case. It's usually like in my situation, I'm living a double life. So I have a great job during the day and this stuff is being held over me for at night. This is what you are. And so what we see is a lot of young girls will take nudes for their boyfriends or whatever, or even their online boyfriend that they think is who they say they are, but they're usually not. And so now those pictures are being leveraged as collateral over these young girls. And so they don't want their nudes leaked. They don't want their mom to know. And it's more so that boyfriend, we call that a Romeo situation where the boyfriend flips a girl and turns her out. And, you know, it's a very toxic, mind boggling situation, but that's what we normally see. Does the individual that is doing the trafficking, do they see something in their victims where they, or do they just know that if they build a relationship with you, they're likely to break you down? Oh yeah. No, I mean, the majority of women traffic, they, there's not a father in the home. That's the most screamingly annoyingly fact factor, which is why family units are so important. They'll track their victims. So, you know, kids post everything on social media these days. So if you have a young girl who is like, I hate my family, she's crying all the time. She's a little mentally unstable. Maybe she got some depression in the mix. Great targets, great targets, because he can slip in there and he can be that person that she needs him to be for that time being until he earns her trust and can get her to do things that she would never do think of doing. Right. And then they can flip them. So let's wrap up this topic. I want to I want to ask you what if there's someone in the audience or someone that's susceptible to this, anything that you can give them to look for or to be aware of to maybe prevent a scenario like this? If if you feel like you're entering into this, I would say know your boundaries and know your values and do not adjust them for anyone. Like if you have certain non-negotiables in your sex life, in your dating life, do not adjust them for anyone because that is a slippery, slippery slope. And parents, have your kids establish those boundaries. Have a conversation with them about what the kids want as their boundaries, because this is happening to seven-year-olds. Have that conversation early and say, hey, what do you want? Like you see mom and dad and how we operate. Like, what do you want in a relationship? 
And don't try to be like, you're going to have these boundaries. They have to own them. They have to know what they are and write them out. So I think the kid knowing that they have that power in and of themselves to communicate what they want, that is super important. Okay. That's, that's great feedback. Hey, so I want to shift gears now. That was a very deep topic to a little bit lighter topic. Your company works around Amazon stores Mm -hmm. and you help investors. I believe it's investors. So feel free to correct me, but people come in and they want to have a store. And so they invest in, can you kind of take me through what you do? And I'd love to talk with you about like, who would be ideal for that? Where, where does that fit in and and just kind of bring that conversation through? Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever, uh, shopped at Publix or Walmart? Uh, yes, I have. How many times have, do you like go there a week? A week? Uh, well, I haven't probably been to one in years. I mean, I'm honest answer. I try to avoid stores with passion. So I'll door dash or I'll, uh, uh, bribe my wife if I have to, but if I can avoid going into a store, I'll, I, I try hard. I just don't really enjoy the experience. Perfect. And so you use DoorDash, you use apps like that out of what convenience? Instacart, DoorDash. Yeah. Just as long as, you know, I have to be, you know, the fees sometimes get a little crazy. Like Instacart, actually, I found out they mark up your groceries. I didn't know this. So now I'm a little more aware. So yeah, generally like Hungry Root is where I get a lot of my uh, groceries uh, online service. So anything that I can kind of avoid as stores, I I generally try to. Nice. Imagine if uh, those fees that were marking up on those groceries, if those were going to your wallet and to your bank as a profit. Yeah, that'd be nice. That's literally what we do for people with Amazon. So people are already shopping on Amazon. Prime is already a part of our culture, right? There's jokes, there's memes about the Amazon boxes showing up on your front door, on your front porch. So what we do is we set you up an Amazon store so that you are making money off of yourself <laughs> and making money off of other people who are already buying these products. So a lot of people are confused that this even exists, but about 80% of Amazon's profits come from third-party sellers. And so what we do is we utilize all the greatness, all the trust, all the usability of Amazon, and we buy wholesale products for our clients, and then we sell them at retail price in their stores. At the end of the month, they get a a deposit into their bank account and we do a profit split. So we're like a property management company for them. So it's very simple. It's very straightforward. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high performing team members and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. 
And then we sell them at retail price in their stores. At the end of the month, they get a a deposit into their bank account and we do a profit split. So we're like a property management company for them. So it's very simple. It's very straightforward. So I think what you, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you bring to the table, do you, let's say you have 10 investors. I'm not sure what you call your customers or Mm -hmm. clients, but you have 10 of these people that now have asked you, they want this automated system. Do you decide what products do you think you can make profit off of? And then you buy them in large quantity where you get some type of leveraged pricing because of the quantity. And then how do you decide among those investor groups of who gets access to what? Are they all on the same listing and it just rotates? Or are they all on their own listings? Or what's that look like? Great questions. And there are multiple questions in them. <laughs> I know, so I'm sorry. <laughs> we do call them investors because they do own their stores. It is their digital appreciating asset, which is really cool because they can actually flip flip it for three to four times the initial investment in a year. Uh, So there's stores selling for six and seven figures because of the brand and distribution associations we do with the stores. So yes, you are correct. They come in and we have so much data that goes into choosing products, but we're choosing products that have anywhere from a 20 to 60, 80% profit margin on it. We have lots of systems that we use to determine that. We want to make sure that the product's selling through. There's a lot of data that goes into that as well. We're choosing name brand products and we're choosing listings that we don't have to do any sort of PPC. We don't have to pay for any sort of marketing. Nobody has to do any marketing. It's Amazon. People are already programmed to go there. It's just absolutely foolproof. And then as far as do we have the same clients on the same listings, we only do 10 clients on the same listings. So we don't want our clients competing with each other. So there's multiple listings for the same type of products. So we'll choose you know, the top listings that we can find and we'll disperse it. As far as what type of products, we're doing really unsexy stuff. Because unsexy stuff sells consistently. Toilet paper, right? Toilet paper. We're doing household items. We're doing dry goods, groceries. And then there are certain areas that you can graduate into. So Amazon knows that it takes a lot of really great relationships in order to sell in the toy, the pet, the baby industries. takes a lot of relationships. And actually, what you see here hanging in the back are letters of authorization directly from brands. So that's your Willy Wonka golden ticket. If you can get a brand to say, yep, we trust you. You are selling for us. You are selling our product and we approve that you can sell our product. They're nearly impossible to get. And I've got three, uh, which I'm very proud of. So let's see. So we've got the listing. We talked about how we choose what products to buy. And right now, honestly, we are buying as much as possible. So what we do is we track the investor capital that they bring in for inventory. Everyone's got their own little credits, if you will, on their store for that in our systems. We pool that money together to have buying power. So then we can go to Nestle, we can go to Hasbro and say, hey, I've got, you know, a million dollars to buy products. Let's, we want these, you know, 20 products and we want massive quantities of them and we'll distribute them amongst the stores. Okay. So basic products that have high demand. Mm -hmm. And then you try to get some buying power in terms of buying in very large quantities. Does the wholesale agreement though, you guys have like your investor. So your investor, it's fair to say is pretty reliant upon you guys in terms of providing these efficiencies because of the buying power. Okay. Okay. And and they, they distributors, they won't sell to you if 
unless you can hit these minimum order quantities, then it takes a lot to buy in with them. There are some that will be cool with $500, but usually you're looking at $10,000, $20,000, all the way up. We just did a million dollar purchase with a pet industry you know, brand because that's what's required. And so people will try to go off and do this on their own. And the biggest issue they all have is finding distributions, finding distributions. So we have Automation Empire, and that's the state-recognized investment group so that does the Amazon management. And then we have Wholesale Automation, which before I was the CMO, I basically ran the operations and did all the relationships with the distributions and brands. And so that Wholesale Automation is a licensed wholesaler and distributor. So we've done, and we have our own warehouse, like we've done all the backend work that most people can't afford to do on their own. So when you buy in with us, that's what you're investing in. Got it. Now, does the investor, the investor never takes possession of the goods that goes into your wholesale? Is that correct? It goes into your wholesale building. Mm -hmm. And then does the shipping actually happen? Do you guys package it up for that investor? And then you send it off to Amazon warehouse where they're keeping it on their premises. And then, or or nowadays, I don't know, you can do, I think you can do the actual shipping from your own location and still be under prime, right? Right. So that's their seller prime program. I forget exactly what it's called. Something like seller fulfilled prime. Okay. You can do that. It is insanely difficult to ah, okay. to stay in that zone because Amazon has a reputation to upkeep with Prime. When you click, when you pay for that Prime, you expect to get that product within two days or whatever it is. And if you don't, you're you're mad at Amazon. You're not mad at whoever owns that store. You're mad at Amazon. So Amazon, there is literally no margin for error if you're doing seller fulfilled prime. So it's very difficult to keep that. So we don't even do that. We bypass that hole and we do fulfillment by Amazon, which is Amazon FBA. So you're exactly right. The product comes into our warehouse. Let's say you have a store, Tyler, and it's Tyler's store, you know, so imaginary right now, but we will repackage that product with your company name on it in our warehouse. And then, yeah, we send it to Amazon. They take it in, it goes into their system and they do the whole prime fulfillment. They do the whole buy box situation. So you get all the perks of being with Amazon and selling on Amazon through us and through Amazon FBA. Right. So do you have this kind of down to a science in the sense that, I mean, it sounds like you have the whole process down to a science, but like, let's say someone invests X amount, I'm sure you guys have a fee to get into your program, Mm -hmm. but they invest X amount into your program, then they have to buy inventory. Can you almost go to like the this individual investor and go, okay, well, if you invest this much in inventory, and you invest this much with us for our fees and our services, this is about what you're going to make in that profit. Is it that statistical? Oh, yeah. So what we see on average, and this is you know, our lowest profit split, this is bare minimum, we're seeing an 18 to 36% monthly return. And that number, you know, that gap is determined by how much inventory capital you can give us to work with, because the more you have to spend money to make money, and we can buy nicer, better, more products for you. Um, That is also determined by when you're entering in with us. So fourth quarter right now is our Super Bowl. I mean, I was here until 3 a.m. last night, right? Because this is go freaking time right now. So if you enter in, you know, and we are able to ramp you up and you're hitting this right now, you're seeing, you know, a couple thousand dollars a day come in. 
which is really exciting because we have investors that are anywhere from blue collar workers who want to diversify their portfolio and they recognize real estates in, in the can right now. And so it, our stocks, the economy is really unstable right now when it comes to the stock market. Not that I'm a financial advisor or anything. The one thing that does not go into recession is Amazon. The one thing that does not shut down during war or during crisis is Amazon. People still need toilet paper. They still need their things. And like you just said, you do not want to go into a store. You order online. Yeah. Even pandemics caused the Amazon to go up. <laughs> yeah. Amazon. Yeah, yeah. That's what everyone's like. Oh, do you have a recession proof business? Dude, I have the only recession proof business. Yeah, I have the yeah. only recession proof investment. And we have a money back guarantee on all of our services. What stockbroker is going to give you a money-back guarantee? What real estate agent is going to give you a money-back guarantee? They're not. They can't. We can't. That makes a lot of sense. So in terms of like, when you say, you know, originally I was thinking, I know Q4 is Amazon's absolute best quarter Mm -hmm. because it's holidays, but I was thinking, oh, you guys are doing durable goods. What I recall getting inventory into Amazon during Q4 could be like a nightmare because like they sit in pallets and I've heard they like are laying out, you know, all strewn all all over the place till they catch up. So how do you, when it's durable goods, I kind of have this envision, how do you get those into their inventory to even be able to turn them over? Do you have to send them way in advance or do you, how does that work exactly? Yeah. So Amazon, bless their souls. They are just finicky people, but they have a cutoff date to when you can send in new inventory specifically for fourth quarter. And so it changes a little bit every year. This year, they backed it a month up. Wow. So literally Friday is when I can get you. We're doing our last massive order. Us to hold up all of our promises. That's the last time I'll be able to get inventory for clients this year. Wow. Man, that's amazing. Um, because of exactly what you're saying. And we've figured out a way, which I cannot give the details because this is IP. We have figured out a way to package and position our products in such a way that Amazon only takes two days to process our shipments in their warehouse. So as soon as I my team processes and ships them in, Amazon's putting them in processing and shipping them within two days. That's a big deal. Yeah. I remember uh, I used to be in that world a little bit more. So I would read on these forums and stuff. And there used to be stories like, oh, my pallet's been on their deck for three weeks now. And people were, you know, they'd even like rent warehouses that were close to distribution centers so that Mm -hmm. they could build like efficiencies and how fast, like least busy distribution centers and stuff and all these different things. And it, I mean... It was an interesting model. I mean, there's definitely money to be made. The thing I could never figure out, truthfully, unless you're doing it in quantity, and maybe this is where you guys are doing it, it seemed like all the fees, you know, then there's like, I remember they introduced, and I think they still have this, they charge you a storage fee for inventory if if you're not turning over your inventory fast enough. So they have all these different fees. I wondered if a lot of these small individual places you know, the sales numbers always sound good, but I always mm-hmm. wondered, like, did that result in net profit? Like, were they just turning over cash and tying up inventory? But really, at the end of the day, if you kind of looked at it on a cruel basis, they probably weren't making that much money. Yeah, they're, and they just raised their fees, too. So when I say we look for a product that has 20 to, you know, 20, at least 20% profit margins, I'm saying after Amazon fees, after FBA fees. So we have programs that I can type in for a product, how much I'm getting the product from, from a wholesaler. And then it'll tell me the profit margin. It'll tell me the data. Also, I'm factoring in packing supplies. 
for my own warehouse, I'm factoring in, we have it down to the second, how much it costs for us to ship product. And I mean, it took a lot of freaking work to get there and it took a lot of money and it took a lot of mistakes, you know, to get there. And I'm, I'm on a lot of these Facebook groups where people are like, how did I have a 30% profit margin? And now I owe Amazon money. And I'm like, Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we have a plan for that a hundred percent. Like if you're doing it on your own, that's a really rough lesson to learn. But because we do have buying power and because I can negotiate for packing supplies and I can negotiate and make adjustments and we own every single part of our process, we don't white label, we don't outsource any of it. We can make these quick pivots and adjustments that other companies cannot or individuals cannot. So if I see that that Amazon's you know raising that fee, I make adjustments in my freights. I make adjustments in our packing supplies. I might even adjust my profit split so that my client can make money because in the long run, that's going to benefit the relationship, you know, much better. I can make those adjustments that individuals or other companies that just won't do the work cannot make. Right. So an investor might ask you, they might say, Hey, this sounds great. It sounds really cool. Why don't you guys just take the hundred percent and do it yourself? It's a freaking great, great question. Two things. One is you could have asked, you know, the owner of McDonald's and you could have asked the owner of Walmart the same question. Franchise model allows us to grow much quicker, faster. And again, in the long run, ultimately, yeah, makes me more money. If you help people make more money, you're going to make more money. <laughs> and then the second part is that inventory. So I can go and get a loan and you know, buy a bunch of inventory and then wait for Amazon to pay me back and put all of my eggs in one basket in a sense. But eventually I'm going to be capped for how many credit lines I can get, how much, you know, what if I make a mistake? Now I'm screwed. Now the whole thing falls apart. However, if I can bring in multiple investors, I have a lot more buying power. I have a lot more leverage with these companies. And again, the more people you make money, the more you'll make money. I mean, it's it's simple math, honestly. So why would I stop at one store when I can have 700? I love your answer though. I I also, you know, my the answer to my question too is the same thing Amazon does really. Like they could have all their own inventory. And I know in some cases they do, but that would have stunted their growth if they didn't have FBA stores all over the behind the scenes, they would not have grown probably at the rate that they have. Yeah. No. A hundred percent. And it, it hurts when people do ask that question, which they ask it often, it's right, a little bit sure. short-sighted and it shows me where you're at with your wealth mindset, financial literacy, and you're probably never made an investment if you're asking me that question. <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> which I is like fine, this. which is totally okay. I mean, I was never taught any of this. I was never taught how to build wealth, not just make money. Literally anyone can make money. I made money as a prostitute. Literally anyone can make money. Can you build wealth? That's what we're trying to do here. I don't think I've ever had anyone on my show say I've made money as a prostitute. So that's like a first. Like that's that that's a very open and candid. I love it. Um, hey, so I want to wrap up this show with a couple, little couple last things here. Is there a book, a podcast, a show, something that either you're currently reading or enjoying or something you have in the past that you could share with us? Yeah, it's kind of like my Bible because communication and Lord knows if you're listening to this, you're probably like, well, this girl 
is it might not be the best communicator. I am learning, so have grace with me. But my my Bible that I operate off of is uh, this book called Closer by Ron Early. I keep it literally on my desk or on my bookshelf, and I reference it constantly because if you can learn to communicate, and it's it's a sales book technically, but life is all all sales, right? You're always trying to get something in exchange for something else, whether it's time, energy, or money. So if you can figure out how to exchange something and get what you want out of life, that's sales. And if you can learn how to communicate, you can get whatever you want. So this is what I study. Yeah, you you're so humble though. You're obviously a great communicator and and I love you you do have that like you see what you get like in terms of how you communicate. So your style's great. So yeah. appreciate the recommendation. I'm definitely going to check that book out. I've never even heard of it. So great recommendation. Hey, so your website is automationempire.com. I'll put that in the show notes at thinktyler.com. If people wanted to reach out, like let's say they're interested, is that where they go or is there anywhere they could go to reach out to you that might be different from that? Yeah, they can go to the website, but I mean, all of us are on Instagram or, and we're all very active because we're, I guess we're boomers. I don't know what we're all on Instagram. (laughs) Um, So if you want to message me directly, if you want to talk business, if you want to talk wealth, if you want to talk investment, if you want to talk about mindset and overcoming hard things or sex trafficking, I love to, I love to help and inspire. So on Instagram, it's just Amanda Katarzy on Instagram. Okay. I'll put your, uh, I'll put that link in the show notes too. So people can reach out to you. Hey, Amanda, you're awesome. You're fun to listen to. I'm so glad to hear your story and like kind of where some things that you ran into you've overcome and you've achieved. And now it sounds like you're doing something really exciting. So can't thank you enough for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tyler. I've had a blast with you today. Okay. Take care. You do. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.